the Lord. I'm going to start in John chapter 14 tonight. Uh, the 14th, 15th, and 16th chapters of John, the Gospel of John, tell us what happened primarily during the uh, Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples on the same night that he was betrayed by Judas and taken captive by the Jews. So in, uh, in the 14th chapter, Jesus begins to tell them uh, some things related to his plan and purpose and what was yet to come and so forth. Verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Folks, he's talking about relationship with God. He's talking about being a child of God just like he is God's son. He's not talking about buildings. He's not saying there's a lot of buildings, so there's plenty of room in heaven. That, I'm sure that's true to some degree. But what he's talking about is relationship. He's talking about going to the cross, paying the price for sin and sickness and poverty, being raised from the dead, and providing a place for them in God's family. So he said, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whether I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you do know him and have seen him. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it will suffice us, or it will satisfy us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. Now, folks, it's, a, it's an astonishing thing for us because we've got, um, well, we've got a, a much clearer revelation of what Jesus did, what he has done, and who we are in Christ than uh, these disciples would ever have, even though they walked with him for three years and saw miracles that were beyond anything that anybody had ever done before. Jesus said in one place specifically, he said, if I hadn't done the miracles among the Jews that nobody else has ever done, then they couldn't be held accountable for their sins. But he said, I have done miracles that nobody else has done. Therefore, they've seen these things. Therefore, they're responsible for what they mean. But it's an astounding thing to me that after three years of being with Jesus, the disciples, the, there's 11 of them left at the Last Supper. Judas has already gone out to be in his betrayal process. But after being with Jesus and seeing untold miracles and, and, and so forth, John said that if the world, that if the, everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. So the account that we have is an abbreviated version of everything Jesus did. And John said there were, he implies at least that there were much more, many, many, many more of these healings and signs and wonders and miracles and different things that took place. Yet they didn't know who he was. When Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place for them, and Philip speaks up and says, show us the Father. 
they don't understand that Jesus' whole purpose for his ministry here on the earth was to show and reveal the Father to them. Now, there's some other things that we need to be aware of and, and conscious of. And let me give you a couple of other scriptures. One's in John chapter 6, verse 38. He said, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Then look with me over to, to uh, John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. Now these scriptures tell us and show us that Jesus was not the originator of the words that he spoke. He wasn't the originator of the works that took place. But he identified those works as being evidence or proof, conclusive proof of who he was. He's telling his disciples, if you can't believe me because of the things that you've heard, at least believe me for the work's sake. Well, if Jesus came to the earth not to do his own will, but the will of the Father, and, and let me make a little side comment on that. That's not to say that Jesus' will was to do anything different than what God would have wanted. There was not one smallest particle of Jesus' will that was not completely in tune with his Father. Yet he still feels compelled, compelled by the Holy Ghost to tell us that it's the Father that's doing these works. It's the, the, the words that he's speaking that produce the signs and wonders and miracles. He said, those come from my Father too. Everything about Jesus' life was to show them the Father God. Well, folks, if we put that in the healing context, then that means everything Jesus did regarding healing for the physical body, the words of healing that he spoke, the healing works and the healing miracles that he performed, the faith that he inspired for people to receive healing on their own, every one of those things was a part of him showing the Father unto us. Every one of them. Now we've got one example. You may know it well enough without turning, but it's in Matthew chapter 8. In the 8th chapter of Matthew, beginning in verse 1, it says, When Jesus was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, folks, I'm amazed that there was only one guy in Jesus' ministry that asked this. That's what really surprises me about this situation. But of all Jesus' ministry in the three years that he was on the earth, of all the signs, the wonders, and miracles, of all the things that he did, we have one record, one instance, where one person, one leper, questioned the will of God concerning healing. Beyond that, nobody has any questions. Beyond that, beyond this one event, we don't have record that anybody else came to, to Jesus wondering if it would be God's will for them to be well. Nobody else in all the multitudes, in the thousands and thousands of people that came to Jesus, that he ministered to, that he preached to, that he ministered healing to, of all the crowds, whatever the number would be, and I have no idea what that would. I don't know how big the multitudes were. We know that on one occasion there were 5,000 people that were fed by one little boy's lunch, and another time 7,000 people were fed from a small batch of fish and, and bread too. And if that's indicative, if that 5,000 numbered crowd 
And the 7,000 numbered crowd are indicative of the size of the multitudes that came to Jesus, if those were not aberrations but the norm, then you can see that over three years, he's ministered to and talked to and touched tens of thousands of, of people in their lives. We've got one guy that questions his will. Just one. He comes to Jesus and he says, I believe you can. Now, folks, this is the easy way out. Anybody can believe in God's power. Anybody can identify God's power. This guy didn't know what his will was. So he came to Jesus and said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. Luke's account says immediately Jesus reached forward and touched him. Instantly. No need to deliberate, no need to pray, no need to ask God anything about anything. Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. That's the only account that we've got where anybody questioned the will of God and his healing ministry, the will of God to minister healing, the will of God to minister the healing power of God to change his body. And Jesus dealt with it instantly. Now, the Bible says in Acts chapter 10 that when Peter went down to Cornelius' house, after all the, the supernatural things that had taken place, Cornelius seeing the vision the day before, Peter having a vision of the, the different animals and the sheep that was let down from heaven, some clean, some unclean, that he finally came to the realization that, he, that God was trying to tell him that the Gentiles had been cleansed by the blood of Jesus just like the Jews had. Salvation is available for the Gentiles just like as for the Jews. After all those things that take place, a miracle on both ends of this event, Jesus is preaching in Cornelius' house. And in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, he said, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That verse of Scripture tells us some very interesting things, very important things about God, man, and sickness. Now, I believe this is one of those foundation Scriptures. It was anointed of the Holy Ghost. Peter was anointed of the Holy Ghost to say these things, and the things that came out of his mouth, the words that came out of his mouth, were exact, perfect, and becomes the foundation for our beliefs about God the Father. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power who went about doing good and healing. Now the, healing the, the doing good he's talking about is the healing work of God. And remember Jesus said I didn't do these things of myself. The words that I'm speaking they're coming from the Father. The works that I'm doing these are the things that I see my Father do. So it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power to go about doing good and healing. But who did he heal? He healed all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. That tells us right away, in the most literal and specific and concise terms possible, that sickness is always of the devil. Healing is always good, and therefore healing is always God's will because he's a good God. Nothing else could be true. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. 
It says, when the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now the scripture that he's talking about that was confirmed in Matthew chapter 8 is Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says of the Messiah, and everybody agrees that, I, that uh, Isaiah 53 is talking about the Messiah. Nobody doubts that in any way, in any measure. Everybody agrees that. And so it says of the Messiah, the work of the Messiah, in verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Now I'm quoting from the King James. But if you look up these words, griefs and sorrows, in any good concordance, you'll find out that they're translated sickness and, and uh, pain. In most cases, the word griefs is the word sickness. The word sorrows is the word pains. So Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, it says, Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now what about Matthew eight sixteen? Let's read 16 and 17 verses again, now that we've referred to Isaiah 53. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. What about these verses fulfill Isaiah 53, 4 and 5? We know that this was not the end of Jesus' healing ministry. We know that Jesus' healing ministry continued up until the last day. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was taken captive, Peter cut off the the, uh, soldier's ear and Jesus healed it. So all the way up to the crucifixion, all the way up to the the beatings that he took, uh, preparing him for the cross and so forth, his healing ministry continued. So there would be nothing that would be finished here in Matthew chapter 8. So if he's not talking about a finished product, what is he talking about? Well, remember, it says Jesus bore our sicknesses and carried our pains, but we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Matthew says, Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled, saying himself bore our sicknesses and carried our pains, our sicknesses and infirmities here. Do you know the only part that fulfills Matthew's, chapter, uh, Matthew's prophecy? The only thing that fits as far as the fulfillment is concerned, the only thing that fits is the who that were healed. Well, who were healed? Matthew eight sixteen says he healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. See, when Isaiah spoke, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, saying that the Messiah would, and of course he's looking to the future. We look look back to the past at the things that were done, but Isaiah is having to look forward into the future to tell us what the, uh, the Messiah would do. The only way that he could bear our sicknesses and carry our pains or our infirmities is for our to mean everybody. It had to mean everybody. Or else it couldn't be the fulfillment. See, Isaiah is real clear saying Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. Well, who does the church world believe that hour means? Everybody. 
Jesus died for the sins of the world. So he was wounded for our transgressions, everybody's transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, who's the hour that Jesus took upon himself bruises to pay the price for. But it has to be everybody, because again, Jesus died for the sins of the world. It says the chastisement of our peace was upon him. Who did he pay the price for? Our. Our means yours and mine. It means everybody. And finally, he concludes by saying, and with his stripes, we are healed. Who's we? We has to mean everybody. And Matthew is, is saying that very thing through these scriptures. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. Healing has to belong to all that are sick. Now, we know that lines up perfectly with what Acts 10, 38 says. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Acts 10, 38 tells us that, that sickness is satanic oppression. It's the oppression of the devil. It's not a work of God, never could be a work of God. Because healing is good, which means sickness is not good. And Jesus healed all that were oppressed of the devil. His healing of all that were oppressed of the devil fulfills the same prophecy. Saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now if we know these things, if we identify and realize that God never changes. And in line with that, why would God send Jesus to the earth to show us who he is? To show us who the Father is? Why wouldn't he send Jesus to the earth to show us who the Messiah is? Wouldn't that make more sense? Wouldn't it make sense for Jesus to declare the situation to be such that he answers and says, I wanted to do all these things to show you what a good father, heavenly father you have and to prove that I'm the Messiah. But more times than not, Jesus kept people from telling that he was the Messiah. He didn't turn the attention to himself. Now, we think in totally opposite terms. We think everything is supposed to point to Jesus. Everything is supposed to testify of Jesus. And folks, that's true. But that's not the way it was when Jesus was on the earth. Jesus came to the earth to, to uh, prove one thing. And that was who God is. He came to reveal unto us the Father. So when he says the, will, the works that he's doing are not of himself, he's not come to the earth to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father. He's purposely showing. Even though he could say, well, God and the Father, God, my Father God and I both operate this way. But he turned absolutely every bit of the attention to God so that we would know what God's will is by seeing what Jesus did. Folks, the number one reason that people fail to receive their healing is because they're not convinced the will of God is for them to heal, to be healed. They're not convinced that it's God's will to heal them. And the Bible could not be clearer by showing us Jesus healing all that were sick to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy, saying he bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases. Turn with me to Luke chapter 13. With that in mind, we should be able to identify God's will in a variety of applications and situations, should we? 
Let's start in verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit infirmity 18 years and was bound together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now let's stop here just for a moment to to, uh, set ourselves in the right direction here on this story. Jesus sees that she's sick. He sees that she's oppressed of the devil with this thing that's kept her bowed over. He does not stop to pray. He does not confer with his heavenly father. He immediately calls her over to him and ministers the life of God, the healing power of God to her, and she's made straight, made whole. Why did Jesus not have to check with God to find out his will in this situation? Because he knows God's will is always to heal. He knows God never changes. He knows that if God ever willed for one person to be healed, he wills for all of his people to be healed. He knows that Sickness and disease are of the devil, not of God. Well, you, know, you remember the rest of the story. The ruler of the synagogue gets upset about this. He answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath. Then the Lord answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound low these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? Now notice that Jesus' attitude is God's attitude. It has to be the same, or else Jesus is operating outside the will of his Father. Now if there ever became one point, just one moment in Jesus' three years here in uh, ministry here on the earth, if there was just one moment where he said something or did something or took some kind of action contrary to the will of God, the whole ball game's over. That would make Jesus a sinner. That would make him an unworthy sacrifice. And no matter what God planned or no matter what Jesus was willing to undergo, that would, by definition, necessitate that Jesus could not be a worthy sacrifice for mankind. So then we have to conclude the things that Jesus said and did in this case had to be the will of God in action. Remember, his whole purpose is to reveal the Father, to reveal God's will. Remember the Lord's Prayer. He prayed, Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus came to show us what the will of God was here on the earth. And so what's his attitude? What's God's attitude towards somebody that's sick? This woman doesn't even come to him to be healed. She doesn't come to him and call upon him. You don't see her saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. That was the cry that many people used when coming to Jesus. And it simply means, it simply indicates that that person believes that he is the Christ. He's the Messiah. Not this woman. We don't know what she thought. We don't know what she believed. We don't know anything other than God's attitude is sick people ought to be well. And he gives two reasons why he thinks she should. He gives two reasons that God's attitude against sickness is built. Ought not this woman, verse 16, being a daughter of Abraham, 
whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. He says there's two reasons she ought to be free. One is she's the daughter of Abraham. Remember Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham. Well, what was the blessing of Abraham? A good part of it was healing for the physical body. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith, and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Then verse 29 of Galatians chapter 3 says, And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. She's no more a daughter of Abraham than you and I are sons and daughters of Abraham. Because we are in Christ. Christ is the seed of Abraham, whereby the blessings of God are passed from generation to generation. So Jesus takes that pretty seriously. He says because she's a daughter of Abraham, that's a good enough reason for her to be healed. But then he shows something else. He says it's Satan that's bound her for these 18 years. Shouldn't the bondage of Satan be broken? That's his attitude. Shouldn't the work of the devil be destroyed? That's what John told us Jesus came for. 1 John 3, 8, I believe it is. For this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus takes that part of his ministry pretty serious too. He says this woman's been bound by Satan for 18 years. Isn't that a good enough reason for her to be free? What does that mean? That means God doesn't want any of his people bound. It means he doesn't want any of his people held back. It means he doesn't want any of his people suffering under the law of sin and death. Because it's not, never has been, and never will be God's will for us to be in that position. So Jesus lays hands on her. And immediately she's made straight. He embarrassed the rulers of the synagogue. But he revealed to us. Remember everything he did was to show us the Father. Well then he just showed us what God's will is concerning healing for the sick. Whoever has a covenant promise as a child of Abraham has the same attitude of God toward them. And sickness and disease coming against them. Since you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That means you and I are just as much heirs of the promise of the healing power of God, heirs of divine healing as this woman was, as Jesus is himself. Because she's a daughter of Abraham and Satan has done a work on her body. Now turn with me over to John chapter 9. Some people through a lack of knowledge of the word use this Example and to, to prove what they think is God's will that not everybody should be healed. Beginning in verse 1 it says, And as Jesus passed by he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Stop and realize what the disciples knew. The disciples knew that sickness and disease were a result of sin. Their problem is, in this case, they don't know whose sin is at fault. So their question is, did the man sin? Well, if he was born blind, how old would he have had to be to sin? The Bible says sin is not imputed where there is no law. 
A baby can't know the law of God until they come of an age of accountability where they can then discern between right and wrong. Now, if this man had gone to about age seven or eight and then become blind, then you might be able to make an argument. At least you'd have a basis to wonder, did this guy sin or what did this guy sin in when he was just a youth or a young, young child that brought this sickness and disease on him? But he was born blind from birth. He was blind, never has seen, never did see. So there's no way in what we know about God and his word, there's no way that the man could have sinned as a baby to bring about this result on him from birth. Well, that leaves the parents. Did the parents sin? Jesus doesn't even consider it. Jesus goes right past them to give them their answer. And just like with you and me and with everybody, he never discusses sin with somebody else. There's never a place in the New Testament where it talks about somebody's sin. Other than places in the Gospels where Jesus said, go and sin no more. But from the time that Jesus was raised from the dead and all the uh, information we have about the church operating in the early days. There's never any mention made of a man's sin. Because that sin's been redeemed. It's been removed. So when the disciples asked, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind, Jesus answered, neither is this man sin nor his parents. That's the answer to the question they asked. He goes on to tell them some more about this situation. He says, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. The night comes when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, as I said, this is a, a passage of scripture or an account of healing where some people would say, and it's simply based on the punctuation, some people would say that God made this man blind so that Jesus could work the works of God in him. Now, folks, if we were to believe that, well, it would be foolish to believe that, so, and let me give you a couple of reasons why. God never changes. If it was ever his will for this man to be blind, then it would always be his will for this man to be born blind. And since Jesus works the works, remember what Jesus said. He said, but that I must work the works of God, the one who sent me, my father who sent me. What works did Jesus wrong? What works did he work in this man's body? He healed his eyes. So the, the work of his father that Jesus said he was sent to do was to heal the man, not to make him sick. If it ever was God's will from the moment that he was born into this earth all the way through his life, if it had ever been God's will for him to be sick or to be blind, then Jesus undoing that by ministering healing and bringing healing in sight to his body would have been working contrary to the will of God and that would have made Jesus a sinner. It's impossible. Now in the original text, there's no punctuation. There's no chapter and verse designations. All that was presented to us by the translators for reference sake and for better understanding. And by and large, the translators did a wonderful job. But this is one that didn't. This is a case where probably through their lack of understanding of the character and the nature of God, they messed this one up. 
And since there's no punctuation, the way to read these scriptures that fits with the rest of the Bible and what Jesus revealed to us and showed to us of the Father should be this. Jesus answered, neither has this man sinned nor his parents, period. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, comma, I must work the works of him that sent me. He's saying it wasn't the man's sin that made this man be born born blind. It wasn't the parent's sin that caused him to be born blind. Well, then since sin is always the, the precursor or the root cause of sickness and disease, whose sin was it? Adam's in the Garden of Eden. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon every man. It's talking about Adam's sin. When Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, it opened the door wide to sin and sickness. It opened the, the, the door wide for birth defects and all those things we see perhaps in children's lives that just rip our hearts out and make some people wonder, how could God be a good God? Well, the answer is God's a good God by sending us Jesus that can fix every one of those problems. God's a good God by giving us his word to affect a healing and a cure in our bodies from the top of our head to the soles of our feet. And all he's looking for is simple faith to take hold of it. Folks, that's the best deal there is. It's the best deal there is. So again, for Isaiah 10, 20, 10, 38 to be true, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost in power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. In order for that to be true, that means this man had to be oppressed of the devil as the root cause of his blindness. There's no other explanation. Now, I know some people are quick to explain away scriptures or just not focus on the ones that they don't like. I understand that. But the Bible is the word of God and it is absolute truth. And the Bible has to be used to interpret itself because there are a lot of things without that means of interpreting the Bible by other scriptures. There are things that we would not understand and never could understand. But when we understand some of the basics, like God never changes, then it means without a shadow of a doubt it could never be God's will for anybody to be sick. Never. Now there were times where God told people they would be sick because of disobedience to the word or enemies of Israel and so forth. But it's never his will for his people to be sick. And it's his will for all of the world to become his people. The Bible says clearly that God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, then if somebody is not saved, if somebody doesn't enter into the family of God, we certainly can't blame God for it. He made a way for it to take place. But he yields to man's free will. He yields to man's free will. So Jesus said that this coming upon this man, this blind man, blind from birth, this man was one that he must work the works of God that sent him. What work did he do in him? He healed his eyes. When he had thus spoken, verse 6, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came again seeing. And because of who this guy was, the fact that he was every day in the same spot begging, 
People were acquainted with him. They knew who he was. They recognized him. And his healing rocked everything about the city of Jerusalem and the Jewish leaders. Because Jesus knew what the will of God was. Jesus knew what the works of God were regarding sickness and disease. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Everything Jesus did was a revelation of the Father. Everything Jesus did showed us who the Father is. He showed us God's will here on the earth for us. Everything that he did opened our eyes to who he is. Not who Jesus is, but who the Father is. Because again, if we go back to that simple phrase in the Lord's Prayer, what's called the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means the kingdom of God is for everything to be on earth in our lives just like it will be in heaven. Anybody have any questions about whether there be sickness in heaven? Nobody proposes that, do they? Nobody says that God's going to have sickness come upon us for a time in heaven to teach us what we didn't learn here on the earth. That kind of thinking would be laughed out of any church that names the name of Jesus. Well, if it's not God's will for us in heaven and he never changes, how can we in any way think or suppose that God wants us to be sick here on the earth? It's absolutely impossible. It's impossible for God's will not to be healing for all. And Jesus proved it time after time after time. When we worked with uh, Brother Hagen on crusades, we'd go to some places uh, regularly, meaning we'd have some meetings every year in certain places, certain locales. And there were many, many times where we would be back to one of the bigger cities. I know that uh, um, Detroit was a place that we went to several years in a row. Uh, Anaheim was a place that we came every year for a good long while. And in each of these kinds of places, you see people from year to year. And there were numbers of people that would come the first time. Maybe they weren't acquainted, acquainted with Brother Hagen's ministry or, or whatever it was. But it would be their first time to come. And they would hear the word, they'd hear the message preached, but they wouldn't take hold of it. But you'd come back a year later, and you could tell that things were different. I remember one lady came to the book table. We were here in Anaheim. And one lady came to the book table, and I remembered her from the year before. But something had changed. The year before, she was looking for God to do something, sweep in with his power, and somehow just wash her in healing power. And bring restoration of her body to, back to health. But the second year we were there, she came in with a whole different attitude. First year the attitude was, if I've got to do anything, forget it. Second year we were there, her attitude was, I can't wait to get in the healing line because I know I'm going to receive my healing. And she did. I remember talking to her later in the week and asking her, and she said this, she said, I finally accepted that it was going to take faith on my part. Now she did a good job of continuing to listen to the word, building more and more faith in her heart, speaking her faith before the fact. 
But she said, I realized that it was going to take some kind of believing on my part. So I decided just to give in, surrender, and believe what God's word said was true. And she walked out of that place perfectly well. Now what changed? Did God's will change for her from one year to the next? No, it was God's will for her to be healed the first time she came. The only thing that changed is her and her acceptance of God's attitude toward sickness and disease. See, the first year after she didn't receive, one of the last services she was there or one of the last services of the week before we packed up and went somewhere else, one of the things that she expressed was that this stuff was phony. She spoke against Brother Hagin. She said, well, he's just hypnotizing people or, or tricking them or fooling them some way or another. Because she believed that it wasn't the will of God to heal everybody. Well, nobody gets healed without answering that question. That's why questioning God's will is the number one hindrance to people receiving their healing. And folks, second place isn't even close. There may not even be a second place reason why people don't get healed it all comes down to virtually all of it comes down to accepting that it's God's will to heal everybody well she came in that second year believing that and it worked she left perfectly well perfectly whole Jesus healed all that were sick to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy saying Jesus the Messiah bore our sicknesses, and carried our pains. He took them away. What he bare, you need not bear. What he bore, you need not bear. What he carried, you need not carry. And he carried all sickness and all disease at the same time that he carried away sin. God's will is for his healing for all. It's always his will to heal. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for your character revealed to us by Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Because you're a good God. Because you want the best for your children. Because you gave Jesus to provide the best for each of your children. We magnify your healing mercy. We magnify the healing power of God that's at work within us now. We are filled and saturated with the life of God. And we believe that that life of God saturates every cell of our body and every fiber of our being. Restoring us to divine health and healing our wounds. Thank you, Father, that healing is always your will. Thank you that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we were healed. And because we were healed, we, are, we declare that we are healed now. Body, line up with the word of God. Obey the word of God. Thank you, Father, that you said whatever we believe in our heart and say with our mouth is what we'll have. We say healing is ours. We call our bodies well in the name of Jesus. Eyes, we call you healed. Vision, we call you perfect. Thank you, Father, that healing is ours. Healing is for everyone because Jesus shed his blood for everyone's price. He made the payment. He paid the price. And he shed his blood 
to pay a sufficient price for our healing. So we worship you, Father. We magnify your name. We declare that we are healed and we rejoice no matter what's going on in our bodies, no matter how we feel, no matter what the doctor says. We thank you, Father, that we are healed. Jesus bore our infirmities and carried our sicknesses. And with his stripes, we are healed. Now we thank you, Father, for watching over your word to perform it. We thank you that it shall be in our bodies even as we have spoken. We thank you that your word is true and that our words are coming to pass. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 You know, if we could really see how good God is, I'm sure it would overwhelm us all. If we could generally see in some greater way the attitude that God has toward those things that hold us in bondage. We'd break loose and break free and never be the same. God wants you and me healed more than you and me want to be healed. And he's made a way for each of us to accept it and take hold of it. We serve a good God. Well, let's thank him one more time. We love you, Father. We bless your holy name. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. We bless you, Father, and we thank you that our words are coming to pass. Therefore, by faith, we are free from sickness and disease, from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you.